another episode of the ladies room i'm julie DeCarroll from deadspin along with jane mcmanus of deadspin we are here uh to talk god jane i mean yesterday we're recording this the day after the uh insurgents stormed the capitol and tried to what um destroy everything sit at nancy pelosi's desk which for some reason i was really offended by and also them looking at her calendar and making fun of the fact that she had a hair appointment was, for some reason, really galling to me. Yeah, as, as women who've had hair appointments. Women uh, have hair appointments. Yeah. I hate to tell you this. Particularly right. women There's nothing elitist about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we're, you know, I, we're probably like you. We spent all day yesterday in front of the TV trying to figure out if we're going to have a democracy in the morning. Um, so, you know, and here we are 24 hours later and things are still, you know, not much better. Things still seem to be sort of trucking along. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of at a loss as to how, how we start this whole thing. Um, yeah, well, I think that's actually a really good point, right? Is how do you have a conversation about sports when, you know, we've really witnessed one of the darkest days in American history, you know, not since the 1800s have insurgents stormed our Capitol building in the United States. And, and it's a, it's an important context. And I, and I think that's kind of when I was looking around yesterday, uh, I saw a couple of people tweeting about sports in the middle of breaking news, um, in terms of what was happening in Washington, DC. And I did see one person and I apologize for not knowing exactly who this was, but as yesterday was like a, 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 a torrent of a fire hose of information coming at you. Um, and it, somebody tweeted, you know, well, I get, I get paid to talk about sports, so I'm going to keep updating you with these, you know, injuries and, um, trades or whatever it was they were talking about and, you know, g- game previews, things like that. And I just was like, well, I guess, you know, you can, you can go ahead and do that. I'm not sure we need, uh, information like that in the middle of something like a coup attempt. Um, <laughs> And I, and I think that, but that's something that the sports world tends to grapple with. I remember nine 11 was the same way. Should there be soccer games? Should there be NFL games? Um, and then you also have had that, I think during a pandemic, that's something that we've wrestled with. And so it kind of comes down to how do you discuss sports in the context of what are extraordinary events happening in our lives right now? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, there's always this group of people that are just like, well, I just want an escape. I want an escape. I don't want to think about this. I just want to do something else. I just want to watch basketball. And I, and I understand it. I mean, my kids yesterday were like all stressed out and were like, can we just turn this off? I don't want to watch this anymore. But then you're essentially asking people who are feeling as stressed out about it as you are, most likely, to basically perform for you so that you don't have to think about it. And, and that is something that that I find sort of appalling that we do on a regular basis. I mean, you know, we saw the Celtics walk off the court yesterday before they decided to play. Um, nobody was in the mood. Nobody was working yesterday. Nobody wanted to do work. Nobody could focus on anything but what was happening, you know, at the Capitol. So why do you expect athletes to be any different? You know, I I think that's true. The one good thing that I'm, well, I mean, I don't know 
I'm not going to frame it that way. Something that happened yesterday also um, is that Draymond Green, because there was an NBA game, had an opportunity to discuss what was happening in D.C. publicly, as well as the fact that, uh, you know, Jacob Blake, who was paralyzed after, um, a, you know, a police shooting, uh, it was n- the the person who who shot that gun has not been charged. And, you know, Green said after the game, quote, it's just like a slap in the face and almost a fuck you to every black person in America, end quote. And I think it's important for us in an age where athletes are now uh, empowered to speak truthfully about what they see around them, that I like that they were given, you know, that there are athletes who were given a platform to talk about what was happening. Do we have to have them as, you know, perform in a basketball game in order for that to happen uh, on a day like that? I, I don't think that's the case, honestly. Um, so I've kind of been, I'm with you about that, but I, there is this relentlessness, relentlessness in our country um, that whatever happens, sports have got to go on. And I, I'm, I'm fatigued by that idea. I don't think it's truthful. And I think it's actually something that's done as an economic imperative rather than as a mm-hmm. human good imperative. Uh, and I'm, and I, and I'm, I, I find myself, I find myself not being able to, to have the patience for that discussion. The other part about that is that every time we, something happens in this country, whether it's, you know, the DA coming out and say that there's no good and it's going to be prosecuted for shooting Jacob Blake in the back seven times, or whether it's people storming the Capitol and, you know, trashing the place and destroying exhibits of John Lewis. Everyone's immediate reaction is, well, are the, are the Celtics going to play tonight? Are the Bucks going to play? You know, and it, I don't understand why we put so much of that burden on athletes to be the ones to constantly take the stand. Obviously, they did a huge amount this summer with Black Lives Matter. We have a whole history of athletes you know, whether we're talking about John Carlos and Tommy Smith, or whether we're talking about Billie Jean King, or, you know, Muhammad Ali, we have a huge history of athletes protesting. So why does it always have to be athletes? Why can't we have like, you know, hey, the steel workers are all going on strike because of Jacob Blake? It's, it just to me, it's, it's weird that it falls disproportionately on athletes. Nobody ever says like, you know, are, is Broadway going to happen tonight? Are they going to go on? I mean, it's always athletes. And I, I don't understand why we put that burden on them. I think part of the reason is because we expect these games to tell us something about our society, which is that everything's normal and everything's okay. And we like the the pattern of that, right? The 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 schedule of that, the calendar of that. It's like, you know, it's like summer, fall, winter, and then, you know, welcoming back the spring again. It's it's a way of us telling ourselves that everything in our society is running like clockwork. The problem it runs up against then is when you have these things, these extraordinary events happening, and yet you still call on these games to tell you that everything is normal. Um, I, I, it, it is, it is a, it's a very unusual thing. And I think it, it does put athletes in a weird position, but I do think there are times that call for, um, where it's just, it's okay to reschedule something. And yeah. we're, we're rescheduling everything these days because of the pandemics, culturally, socially, school, 
doctor's appointments, everything is getting rescheduled and we're having to roll with it with because of, of forces outside of our control. And I think it's very difficult for sports leagues and for the owners of sports leagues and for broadcasters to give up control because everything runs on the schedule and the broadcast schedule. And it would be, it's an economic imperative that we all pretend everything is normal so that people can continue to make money like they have. And, and it leads to this, I think, just utter dissonance and disconnect between what we are experiencing in our lives right now and then what we're seeing presented to us as entertainment. Well, so if you need us to tell you things are, this is not normal, things are not okay, this is a big problem. And I mean, whether we're talking about COVID or whether we're talking about hate groups storming the Capitol, it, you know, it's it's this idea that it, people that want the false sense of normalcy, and, and it's largely outspoken white men when it comes to sports, right, that are sort of like throwing quarters at athletes and being like, dance, junk, you know, flunky, like, it really bothers me. And I, I really wonder how much it contributes to things like, you know, people deciding they don't have to wear masks because I'm watching the NBA and I'm watching college basketball and they don't have masks on. So everything's fine. I, it's really bothered me from the beginning. If we cared at all about each other or public health, we wouldn't have college basketball right now. You know, I mean, I don't know how they think this college basketball season is, is going to happen. They're going to be a huge outbreak at some point. Um, we've already seen Keontae Johnson, the player from Florida State, who had, or Florida, excuse me, who had, wait, Florida State? Florida? I'm not sure. Let's just say Florida, like as in the state of Florida. He's from um, the state of Florida. <laughs> he plays basketball in the state of Florida. Um, you know, having, I'm pretty sure it's Florida, having, uh, you know, having had COVID over the summer when everyone had it and you have coaches like Kelvin Sampson just saying like, oh, my whole team's had it. And now being diagnosed with myocarditis, and we know that there is a big link between myocarditis and COVID, um, we're looking at doing permanent damage to young, unpaid teenagers so that we can all watch college basketball. And I mean, I'm going to watch the Hoosiers play Wisconsin tonight, but I think it contributes to this sense of everything's okay, everything's great, everything is just going on as normal when nothing is normal right now. And at some point, I, I think we really need to stop about, talk about just ending everything and focusing on what we need to fix. Because I don't know what good it does for us all to sit here and just have, you know, 30% of the country say everything's fine. You know, one of the things clearly that needs to be fixed after yesterday, and this is something I think that goes back to the protests in the summer or after the killing of George Floyd, is just the completely different approach that Capitol Hill police took yesterday to oh white supremacists storming in the Capitol building as opposed to largely peaceful protests over the summer. There definitely were violent moments, uh, but it was not a large-scale violent storm, the, the you know, the Alamo kind of thing happening. Um, and I think that you have athletes now who've been sensitized to this issue also who see exactly what happened yesterday. It was, it was not, there's, there was no ambiguity between, you know, about, about the difference in the way that white protesters, rioters, well, white insurrectionists and rioters and seditionists were treated uh, compared to, you know, Black Lives Matter protesters whose argument to the police was, please stop killing us. Right. And I think you know, that does dovetail then with this issue. And I think, you know, it's almost, I wonder what those conversations are like in an NBA locker room on a night like last night. 
um, where it couldn't be clearer that this issue relates directly back to some of the things that you were bringing up. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I just, I'm very, I am curious to see how this impacts the movement that athletes are, are undertaking at the moment. Um, now that we've all become aware of this issue. Well, you know, and I'll I'll say this, I, if athletes ever have, if WNBA and the NBA ever have any question as to whether they made an impact this summer, immediately upon seeing what was happening and realizing there were no police officers there. I think we all saw the videos of police opening up the gates and letting people in. There was a video today of police telling the pro telling the seditionists, I'm so sorry for this. Thanks for your patience. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I saw a lot of service, right? A lot of white people immediately say, wait a minute, that is not what happens when black lives matter was protesting in Washington, DC outside the Capitol this summer. And so I think there's a level of awareness now among white America that wasn't there before. And well, it was just, it was just so blatantly on display yesterday. Absolutely. And also people who've come to the Capitol to, propes- uh, to protest different types of legislation that were being passed. Yep. Um, and that, so, so I think it's this idea of what is policed? Who is the policing benefiting? And that to me is the next level of this conversation because it's because white people who protested with Black Lives Matter or who protest against who, you know, for health care or, you know, all of those are the ones who are who are treated poorly. Those Mm -hmm. black and white and brown people are the ones who are treated poorly. The white people who who charge into Michigan State House and the gun laws that are made to benefit the largely white gun owners who are angry and want to express grievance, those are the rules are softened for one group of protesters while they are hardened for for black and brown protesters and and black and brown causes. And so I think this is the next obviously the next level conversation to be had and and boy was it on display yesterday. Yeah, and you know one of the other things Jane that I was noticing was, you know, I was tweeting a million miles an hour along with everyone else yesterday. When it comes to Twitter, I feel like you're the more thoughtful one and I just like fire off hot takes. <laughs> I was so angry yesterday. And you know, and immediately then the abuse starts, right? I mean, as soon as you say something that, you know, points out racism or sexism or, you know, LGBTQ homophobia or transphobia or whatever, then all of a sudden all the guys come to attack you, all the white guys come to attack you and I was looking at some of these guys' uh, Twitter's timelines. I don't know why, but they they were so abusive going back, you know, months and months, going back probably years to women, to people of color, to black folks, to trans folks, to the LGBT community. I mean, they go after everybody. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, how many of these guys have been reported for harassment over the years? And how many of these guys shouldn't even be on Twitter in the first place? And now God knows how many of those guys wound up at the Capitol. But it just feels like there is this thread um, that runs from like Gamergate um, through Twitter, through Facebook, through social media, up to the way that these guys uh, coordinated this, which was largely online. And I mean, we all saw this. I mean, everybody knew about January 6th. When I went to bed, I was like, oh, God, I can't wait to see what happens tomorrow, just like jokingly to my husband. And then we saw it happen. I mean, if you were on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, there's no way that you could not have seen all these people talking about January 6th at the Capitol. So Donald Trump sent everybody a calendar invite. I'm surprised 
you know, I, I'm surprised that law enforcement wasn't able to to see that happen because because I certainly saw it happening on Twitter. And and one of the things that I, t- I mean, there are many things that I tweet and then the delete. I don't look at my Twitter timeline as though it has to be some sort of you know historical record of my thoughts and <laughs> things that I've said. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I did at the time was I I I, I tweeted out you know what's what are, what are what are social media sites doing to monitor the discussion around January sixth? Um, and this was after you know Trump tweeted something like it's going to be wild or come to the Capitol or you know it was, some, it was something like that. And that is you know and that is the fact of the matter is that anybody who was paying attention and law enforcement you know our intelligence services are called that because they are paid to anticipate possible threats to our body politic or to our to our society. And the fact that that was not treated more seriously, but to your larger point, there are, there have been studies and, and a lot of, you know, people who go on to commit mass shootings, certainly when you're looking at gun violence, many of those young men, and it's usually young men have some sort of history of domestic violence and yep. misogyny has often gone hand in hand. Uh, you know, again, and I'm not making this up. There are studies about this and, and misogyny goes hand in hand. Uh, or is often a kind of uh, predictor, or not, I don't want to say predictor, but it's a a precursor, let's say, to some of these acts of violence. And, you know, for example, the the Pulse nightclub shooting, uh, the the perpetrator of that act, I believe, had some domestic violence in his past. And And if law enforcement prosecuted and took seriously crimes against women, uh, and domestic partner violence, if they took that more seriously, then you might be able to disarm people who were planning or, or somehow go out, go on to commit acts, uh, mass yeah. shootings and, and mass murder. And, and they don't, you know, law, again, this is very much what, it, who is, who, who is the policing to benefit and who is the, who are you policing? And part of the thing that we have gone back and is very much part and parcel of this is how you talk about violence against women and whether or not women are believed and whether charges come and and whether or not prosecutors press those charges when it involves women and when it involves active violence against um, domestic partners or in a larger sense. And so far as a society, and certainly up until the last 10 years, we said that that wasn't something that we were really interested in doing. And that's why you have the backlog of rape kits. And that's also why you have it, the, such a high threshold set for being able to actually prosecute these crimes. Yeah, I want to get back to this um, a little bit later because I think it's really important. But right now, it looks like our very special guest has joined us. So we now want to bring in Sue Bird from the Seattle Storm, four-time WNBA champ, two-time NCAA champ, four-time Olympic gold medalist. She has too many awards for me to list. Sue, how's it going? Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, it's going well. Thanks for having me. Sue, thank you so much for being here. I can only imagine we... We've been talking about things that happened yesterday, and it's kind of hard to ignore what did. But there was a sliver of time uh, between uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday afternoon when we found out that um, John, that that Raphael Warnock was going to be representing Georgia in the United States Senate. And this is based on a lot of different factors, but I do not think you can discount at all uh, what players in the WNBA, including yourself, had to do with getting his name in front of the voters and the electorate. Um, what was your reaction when you saw that he'd beaten Kelly Leffler, dream owner? <laughs> um, 
Do you mean dream owner, like owner of the Atlanta dream or dream (laughs) owner as like, she's my dream. She had a dream once. Definitely owner of the Atlanta dream. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Almost like it was almost surreal. A little bit of, of that. Also just a lot of excitement. Just very, very excited for um, Reverend Warnock because I think he's going to do a great job. Very excited for um, all the people who have worked so hard in his campaign who I've, you know, um, gotten to know. And obviously very excited for us in the WNBA because we know we um, played a small part in it all. So it's, it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, I think you guys played more than a small part. I mean, the first time <laughs> I was aware of, of Warnock was when I saw people wearing the shirts and WNBA players wearing the shirts. And I went to Google him and I wound up contributing to his campaign. And I was thrilled. And, you know, it was like Tuesday night. We were all on such a high. And then we saw what happened at the Capitol yesterday. What was that like for you guys coming off that high of, of seeing Kelly Loeffler defeated? And then yesterday, it just seemed like the world fell apart. Yeah. I mean, I so I was in a unique place in that I was on a commercial shoot. And I only bring that up because I wasn't getting, I wasn't like glued to the TV. Like I feel like everybody else was. I was getting the news kind of in spots via group chat, um, the occasional Twitter check. But once I could really catch up and kind of consume it all, it, it was just, it was probably like five o'clock or so, maybe 6 p.m. last night. And it was just disbelief. And it felt like um, just a, a lot of emotion, right? Like sadness, anger, um, just not really understanding. And then simultaneously, and I feel like I can say this from a place of privilege, sadly, but simultaneously, it was like, maybe this needed to happen. Maybe people who have been um, saying this didn't exist, saying there isn't racism in our country, maybe they needed to see this. And maybe this can be the start of, you know, rebuilding America, so to speak. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. And I think I would feel extremely scared, like just really scared if we didn't have a Democratic president and now a Democratic Senate. That gives me some hope. So it kind of does circle back to the good feelings of when we all found out that Reverend Nornock won and and then when um, Asaf won as well. Sue, that's a great point that we are in this unique valley right now, I think, as as a culture where we are where we are bef- waiting for the kind of the dawn uh, on the 20th of a new of a new approach to governing. Mm-hmm. And right now we're kind of left with the remnants, the very worst remnants of what was there before. But it definitely provided a bookend, as you're saying, to the protests that we saw over the summer and the way that people were policed during those protests, as opposed to yesterday when I'm, you know, I'm sure after your shoot, you were able to check some of the video, which is people with impunity uh, being able to walk into our nation's capital, be past the police to have, you know, pose in, at the dais and all sorts of crazy things. And I just, you know, do you think that if you hadn't been able to raise your voices and people hadn't raised voices around what happened this summer, that people would have been so quickly recognized the absolute difference between the way that people are policed? Um, I mean, yeah, probably not. I think, like I said, I think, sadly, there are people in this country who are in some sort of denial about it. And the only way to believe it is seeing it with their own eyes. And this was that. I mean, to your point, it was just these terrorists able to walk directly into a Capitol building. And you know, for me, and listen, I there, there's only so I feel like I, I try to own this as much as possible. There's only so much I know about politics. 
But it's like, really? You weren't prepared? Everybody mm-hmm. knew there was going to be protests. There weren't police out, more police. There wasn't, you know, from what I understand, there was the Capitol Police. Where were the Metropolitan Police? Where was the National Guard? Like, you weren't ready for this. That part actually scares me the most because what does that mean? Like, who are make, who's making these decisions and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually posted something on my Instagram that, that I had seen where it had an image of what was basically set in place in terms of security for, you know, rumored Black Lives Matter protests and then what it looked like for this, what ended up being terrorism, but with what was supposed to be a protest and just the, the amount of cops or lack, I should say, of cops that were there. And that to me is the most alarming. And I hope a lot of people had their eyes open um, and, and learned. Yeah, we were saying just before you came on, Sue, that that I think that it was due to the protests we saw this summer, largely by activist athletes and the WNBA sort of leading the charge, that people, I saw a lot of white people who picked up on it right away. And I don't know that that necessarily happens um, without all the events of last summer. And I was thinking back to the day of activism that the WNBA had. And I remember around the same time, we were hearing um, that the NBA players had had a meeting and there were all these rumors of, you know, people got up and walked out and people didn't talk and people were upset and people were yelling at each other. And it was it was such a contrast from the image of the WNBA players all standing there in their Breonna Taylor shirts, arms linked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was thinking about this book that I was listening to about the way women use language and, and about the way women build consensus mm-hmm. um, in ways that men don't. And I was just curious as to how that moment came about and how you guys sort of managed to get every single person in the league on board in a way that it seems the NBA and other, and you know, not just the NBA, but any of the men's leagues were not able to do. Yeah. I mean, I think the common denominator or the common difference, I don't know what to call it, is that we're women. I mean, I do think that plays a huge role in it. Women have a way of collaborating, of organizing. And this is a great example of that. I do think we were um, lucky to be in the same place, but a lot of leagues could say that. You know, it's very rare to have 144 of us in the same place at the same time. So that that definitely um, allowed for like a quicker organization. But I don't know. We're just, what I like to, to kind of, the, the story I like to tell is that for a very long time, you know, female athletes specifically, obviously I can speak for basketball players. We've not been allowed to just be basketball players. We're never, you know, that's never the storyline around us. Not many people talk about, you know, the amazing three pointers we hit or, you know, the dimes we dropped, whatever the case may be. It's always about what we look like, what we don't do. It's, mm-hmm. We're judged based on everything. So with that, we've really just developed this fight about us and this backbone about us. And I think what people saw this summer was obviously not new to our league. It's been well documented, but it's been something we've done for years and years. I mean, we were literally built for this moment in some ways. And that just stems from always having to fight. And now that we've fought our own fight for so long, we're, we're very quick to extend and to help others fight their fight. And that was this, this summer was just like a culmination of all of that, of years of having to, to deal with this. And it kind of, to be honest, it really started, um, with, with Maya Moore, her Minnesota Lynx teammates and them mm-hmm. protesting police brutality in 2016. I am curious, Sue, whether you think, well, let me, let me just lay this out. So the women in the national women's soccer league, uh, or uh, National Women's Soccer League, but also the U.S. Women's National Team have been fighting very publicly and vocally. You may know about this story. You may have heard of this story. 
but uh but you know for years now but i think they've brought they've you know they out of necessity right because they needed to be able to pay the bills if they wanted to play soccer professionally right um and then and then the WNBA also has, as you say, for years and years been about more than just basketball uh, as a league and be kind of forced to, again to, to pay attention to things beyond just what's happening on the court. And I'm wondering if the vocal advocacy for themselves and for other people by women's professional teams and, and by female athletes actually has made a difference when it comes to men's leagues having to stand up for things mm. and feel and seeing that there is there is a voice to be had if you want it and the decision to use it or not to use it is a decision. Yeah, that's interesting. Um I've never I've never really thought about it, but I will say that one of the thoughts I've had just in the last like 24 plus hours when you look at like historically just the different people throughout the course of time who have kind of Used their voices, their platforms, stood up, you know, the Muhammad Ali's, so on and so forth. A lot of times when, when it's men, it's individual. Mm-hmm. Very rarely is it, you know, a team or a league. Yeah, most mo- more recently we've seen a little bit in terms of um, more so the NBA than anybody, them, them being right. like unified as a league. I think for women, it's always about the group. Like we're always, it's, you know, you, you brought up the, the women's national team for soccer. That's their whole team. Yeah, they have some representatives who are kind of more of the speaking roles, but it's their whole team that's behind it. For us, it's our whole league that's behind it. I think that's what is unique to the fight that women take on. We usually do it together. You know, one of the things to me that is so interesting is, you know, I know that, and God, I mean, I've seen all the harassment that that women, that WNBA players and women athletes of all kinds get on Twitter, um, you know, people talking about, you know, you, I could, you know, guys could outplay you and, you know, whatever, just all the stupid shit that that's on there all the time. Quit um, the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, get back in the kitchen, make me a sandwich, all that <laughs> stuff. Um, but you know what is what is really sort of unique to me about the WNBA and I guess the the women's the women's national soccer team to the same extent is that it's almost like people are sort of coming at it backwards that people like what who you guys are and what you stand for. And because of that, they're watching the games. And I was thinking about that when we were hearing about the record numbers of people watching the WNBA this summer, that that people care about you as people first. And so they start watching the games. Whereas, you know, for a lot of for the men's sports, it's sort of like, oh, this is your team and you watch your team and then you get to know the players on it. And it sort of seems like that's different for the women. And I think that engenders a kind of loyalty among fans that you maybe don't don't see in other leagues. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I definitely have been asked about, you know, our viewership this summer and why do I think ours was high and the men's leagues were low and all that stuff. And I couldn't agree more. I think when people become fans of our league, I think there are, of course, categories of people where it's just about the basketball, they're into women's basketball. But I do think when you start to follow our league, you know exactly where we stand on issues, on different, you know, matters, things happening in society, you know exactly who we are and what we stand for. So when you become a fan, you're already bought into that. So this summer wasn't different for any of our WNBA fans. And I, I'm pretty sure we probably got more fans and more more eyeballs. Well, A, we were on TV a lot more. So let's, you know, mm-hmm. shout out for that. Um, <laughs> see what happens when you're on TV. Oh, people watch. And <laughs> so that was a big part of it. But also, again, we didn't lose our fan base out of anything we gained. Because I think people started to see more of us and started to to either get into the basketball or get into you know how we're using our platform and it and it is different. It does feel different 
from male sports in that way. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to be, uh, turned off by, uh, women in the WNBA being strong and confident and using their voices. Like if you're here, if you're willing, to, if you are interested in women's basketball, that is part of what you part of the package, I would imagine. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's just something that we've had to form. I'm like, not, I kind of joke about it. I'm like, I wish we could just play basketball. You know, right. you know, when I was 18, 19, actually, no, probably more like 21 coming out of college. And I was had to worry about, you know, Oh God, if I tell people I'm gay, am I going to lose endorsements? Yeah. I would have loved to have not had to think about that. That was awful. Yeah. You know? But like, yeah. here we are. And that's not necessarily specific to women. Obviously, um, you know, the LGBTQ community, like that's male and female and beyond. That's not specific to like a cis woman, but that was, those were the things that I was thinking about. I, it wasn't just about basketball ever in my career. And now, and now you really do, I think, have a league that not only embraces the variety of women who play when it comes to, you know, LGBTQ, but really celebrates it and celebrates it in the fan bases as well. You know, having nights set aside for them. Uh, there was a time when I started covering sports where I think a lot of women's teams, the, the owners and the leagues would be like, Ooh, should we, should we be cool with the gay women who are coming to watch these games or how should we feel about that? Or should we, should we be going for the moms and the dads? And I can remember when my kids were real little going to WNBA games and sitting beside people who obviously had different family structures than we did and finding it absolutely fine. And I think that the league came then to this idea that, Oh, we don't have to choose. Like people can all be fans of the WNBA. We don't need special sections for people. It can all <laughs> yeah. be one group. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. So <laughs> I'm not here to like throw shade, but <laughs> we, it was a huge miss for our league to not just be who we were, to be who we are. It, just, it was a huge miss. And I think we all can agree. Like when people are authentic, you actually don't even care. You don't care who right. they date, what, the, it doesn't matter you're attracted to, to people who are genuine and, and authentic. And that was a big miss, I think, early on for our league. You know, I have so much hope for the next generation. Um, as Jane and I have kids who are roughly the same age, and my 17-year-old came running in uh, to show me your and Megan's engagement picture um, <laughs> when it was, you know, when you guys were the top trending thing on Twitter. So, I mean, and to him, it was just normal. He was just like, look at this picture, you know? And, and I love that. And I love what the WNBA has, has sort of helped move the entire country in that generation. Or in that in that general direction. Before we let you go, Sue, I've got to ask you because I we haven't brought up Donald Trump the entire time we've been talking. I'm a person who has trended like in Chicago locally for bad stuff a couple times and have had like almost fainted just seeing my name like on the trending topics. Yeah. So I have to ask you, what is it like to have the president of the United States go after your fiance? <laughs> um, I mean, totally wild. It was like. First of all, it was like, really, bro? This is what you're doing with your time? <laughs> like, she, I don't know if you know, she's American. She's representing the US in a nat, in like an international tournament. And you're like, kind of like daring her to win. You know, he's, he's like, oh, right. yeah, see if you get to the White House. And then um, that quickly turned, which is actually, that was Megan's response as well. Um, I think right out the gate. For me, it quickly turned to like, oh my God, do we have to be, I mean, obviously, we saw what happened yesterday at the Capitol. And it's it's not extreme to to worry for your safety. And so there was thoughts right away of like, yeah. And I actually said something to Megan. I was like, hey, you know, should should, should like safety be something we discuss or security? And <laughs> Megan, 
in true fashion was like, oh no, I'm totally safe over here. Like I'm fine. I'm with my team. We have security. I was like, no, what about me and your family? <laughs> yeah, you, I know you're fine. <laughs> That's great. Good looking out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, I'll, I'll just ask you this, this last one, because I think it kind of, you can go in a lot of different directions with it, but um, so now that you've secured a democratic majority in the Senate, Sue, um, <laughs> or helped anyway, been part of the process, yeah. what's next? Like this activism that the WNBA dipped into in a big way this summer is effective. The platform works. Um, have, has there been discussion about what next who, you know, what, what, what are, what's, what are the, what are the limits for this? Um, the limit does not exist. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> oh, she comes in with a mean girl. <laughs> so amazing. Um, yeah, you know, so we have uh, the WNBA formed a social justice council last summer, which is just kind of um, like a group of different players, ages, and so so on and so forth, who really kind of head that up. So right now, there's conversations about you know, things that, what are we going to do with the anthem next year and things along those lines. So I know that there's conversations there for me personally, I feel like I want to, the one thing I've learned through all this is you really got to educate yourself. You can't just be, you know, spewing things and, and not really know the background. And I'd really like to learn more about the electoral college and is this needed? And so for me personally, that's kind of like what I see on the horizon. I don't know if that's a me thing or, you know, maybe a WNBA thing, who knows? I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but we're definitely going to stay involved. I mean, God, I just read, I didn't realize that Reverend Warnock's term has to run again next year. Right. Yeah. Oh. So there's that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely tough. That's I didn't definitely know that tough. either. Yeah. But what I, I do, however, and, and Ossoff gets the full six year yeah, full six. term, but if, and he might, but Ossoff might not have been able to win that seat altogether if it hadn't been, you know, if it hadn't been kind of a, a twofer, right, with Reverend Warnock. Um, I do like that you're thinking big from the Senate to the Constitution. <laughs> hey, I love the idea of the WNBA taking down the Electoral College. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, who knows? You asked, so, you know, I had to come up with an answer. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I agree with you. It is something that certainly c- could be looked at. And and the idea, I think, what how you come at it from the from the point of view that the WABA has approached other issues is the, um, are you, are, does the electoral college disenfranchise people of color? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I think the makeup of our league is, is really important in all these conversations, who we are, who we are when we take our uniforms off, you know, particularly the black players, that that's really what the, the lasting like quote, I guess for me, what hit the hardest was listening to Lasia Clarendon and talk to cloud talk about, yeah, when I go home from a game and I take my jersey off, like I'm Breonna Taylor. That could have been me. And that's mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I guess, I don't know if beauty is the right word, but that's like the beauty of our league. Like these are real things that are impacting us and we live we live them. And, and, and we're not afraid to, you know, I think Natasha Cloud is actually the one that says be a voice for the voiceless. That's a great place to end this because I think that kind of wraps up uh, what we've been talking about, Sue Bird. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Ladies Room Sports Podcast. I cannot thank you enough. Um, it's been so interesting to see your journey over the last twenty years in the league, really, and how 
women's sports have changed and how you've evolved as a player and as a person and as an advocate. So thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I got a Mean Girls quote in. Success. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Thank you. She's fantastic. I'm so happy that she was able to join us. You know, Jane, one of the things, um, and first of all, there's such a contrast between the WNBA players and how enlightened they are across the board. And I'm just contrasting it with James Harden yesterday with them asking him what he thought about people storming the Capitol. And he's like, oh, I didn't see it. Like he would <laughs> never, no one from the WNBA would ever say that. It, it, right. Yeah. Well, and, I and do think that, it has to do with, you know, there are, you know, women in the WNBA, a lot of them have had to play overseas. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush because there are a lot of different experiences that women have had. But if you've had to spend you know, six months in China or in Turkey um, or in Poland, uh, it really does, it does broaden your outlook and it, you do see things from a different standpoint. And, and Angel McCautry, I was talking to her about this and she's somebody who's, who's played, who's played, I think as many years abroad as she's played in the United States and is an, an incredibly worldly person. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that just, um, makes you somebody who is a is somebody who consumes things more smartly and understands that different governments have different impacts in the daily lives of the people that they're governing and there are different levels of security for women in different societies and all of these things i think just um kind of hone your senses a little bit i've seen it with tennis players as well Oftentimes they're, they, they are able to think in a, not, and not all the time, but because they've been to so many different places and speak different languages and see different types of people, it does, it does really change their outlook on the world. Yeah. You know, in my time living overseas, I was much more wired into, um, not just, you know, what was happening in Europe, but sort of the interplay among all the nations of the world. And I think that comes from feeling like part of a collective and not just being like, we're, a, you know, America, fuck yeah, we're at the top of the pyramid kind of thing. Um, right. That you really, and, and you know, I, we were on a Disney cruise a couple of years ago and we were with this tape, this family from Serbia and their kids spoke like three languages and they're asking my kids all these things about American politicians. And my kids are just like staring at them with like blank faces. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, I mean, I do think there is something to that. I also think that, women in general, it's sort of like over, like we always, you know, having done radio, Jane, you know this, like if you make a mistake or if you don't know what you're talking about, you're absolutely going to get destroyed for it. So I I feel like there's a little bit of like Katie Porter in all of us. (laughs) You just feel the need to prepare better than anybody else. Because that's that's what's expected of you. Because if you mess up, the guys are going to say it's because you're a stupid woman. Yeah, well, that's right. So that they they really do. I mean, they, you know, that's what Sue said at the end there, and I think that's important. Is that she's she is interested in a in a subject, which is the electoral college, and then we'll put in the work to see how she what she thinks of the issue after she educates herself and talks to people and finds out more. And that is ultimately, I think, the way people should be approaching a lot of these different issues, um, as opposed to just listening to one news source. And if someone tells you to be aggrieved, uh, believing them and going along with that to, to really kind of try to figure out what's happening um, on a lot of different levels. It's so interesting because I'm not sure if you had this experience, but I definitely listened and watched 
the um, the Senate session after they came back from the lockdown at the Capitol. Oh, I was up till four in the morning. <laughs> I was making sure that Pence signed the damn thing because I was like afraid something was going to happen at the last minute. But it's interesting even just hearing the different levels of sophistication of the the senators and our elected lawmakers and how many of them seem to be informed on issues and and how they act about things like that. It, it just seems to me like, you know, I listen to the way the WNBA is approaching something and I think they may be putting more thought into it than some of the lawmakers that we yeah. heard last night. No shit. Like when Josh Hawley started talking about we have to bring it to the floor of the Senate because there's no other courts to go to. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you lose in every single court. Then it's over. Right. You don't take right. it to the floor of the Senate, idiot. Well, his his is a career which has uh, definitely taken a different trajectory in the last 24 hours. That's God, for sure. I hope that's true. Be, back to the WNBA. One of the other things I just wanted to say is that, you know, in an industry um, – and I think that team sports goes a long way towards building these kinds of relationships with women. But in an industry where I think that we are often way too competitive with other women rather than all of us sort of banding together to lift each other up in sports media, because we've talked about this before, you know, there's only going to be one woman on the panel or one woman on the set. There's not going to be or one woman on the show. There's not going to be like three women and a guy. So, you know, we in an industry where women, I feel like in a lot of ways are constantly sniping at each other, or back slap, you know, back swiping each other, giving backhanded compliments and trying to point out each other's flaws to see this group of women who seem so not only united, but so uh, intent on sticking together and lifting each other up to me is just like a tonic. And that's one of the things I love watching about the WNBA. And I guess it's the same thing with like, you know, the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Women's National Hockey Team. And just seeing women interact with those kinds of friendships that anyone who's ever played a team sports knows like what it means to be on a really close team of women. It's not an experience that we necessarily get to have in our lives once you go out into the work world um, and leave, you know, high school or college sports behind. So that is one of my very favorite things about the WNBA. Yes. Well, I would recommend, Julie, that you consider roller derby because I that is one that I started roller derby. <laughs> and from you always talking about it, I had this dream that I started roller derby. And then I was like, am I too old to start trying roller derby? The answer is no. You're I never mean, too old for roller derby. I really. want to start learning to skateboard. I'm going to ask Tony Hawk if I'm too well, old. Well, you can always become like a referee. So, you no, know, a I lot of the that. I want to officials. slam into people. <laughs> well, you can do that. Absolutely. I totally recommend that. Um, yeah, but you know, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of, uh, and of course, there are always going to be situations that we may not know about, of course, where people disagree or get into heated ag- disagreements or there's, um, you know, that there are, are problems on a of chemistry on a team or in, you know, behind the scenes and, and you, you don't necessarily advertise that. Um, but I do think, but you're right. There is a genuine camaraderie there. And the, the fact that the, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that they, they are so accepting of the authenticity of everybody. People don't have to play games about the, who they are and their identity anymore. We're not going to pretend that we're just a colorblind sports league. No, we're going to acknowledge that the bulk of our women are black people of color and that we are going to care about the issues that affect them. Um, it, because they affect us. And I think that's a big, big part of it is, is when you don't have to, when it's not about 
who's the prettiest and getting an endorsement, but about how, you know, who are we as a team and what is our voice? I think that does make a difference. And in, and in a place and an environment where you can be yourself without fear, um, that's really important. Surprisingly uplifting podcast for the day after democracy was pulled back from the brink. Well, Don't because again, we are, we're in a bit of a trough, but, but there's another side to this, Julie. And, and when it, when we, when we come out of this, you know, people will have made a difference and their voices will be heard. And I agree with you, boy, are we optimistic or what? We're such a sunshine podcast. Know, like right? come here and we will, we will motivate you into your next workout. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some guy said, uh, this is guy who's convinced that I have this burner account, but it's, I don't have, cause I don't have a burner account because if I did, I would screw it up. I would do like <laughs> what that guy did who like that redheaded guy who's like I'm a black man and it was like no dude like I I would do that like the first day there's no way I could keep that straight but he's convinced that I am this burner account that always does nice things to me and he was asking the burner account like what's it like to be so miserable all the time and I'm like I am like the most optimistic person in the world I keep coming back to do this freaking job day after day (laughs) with all these dudes screeching at me constantly absolutely it is sunshine to everybody. We're sending everybody flowers of bouquet. Down, download this podcast and expect expect flowers in sunshine, the mail. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. <laughs> that should be our new theme song. That's, that's right. it. That's our lead in. That's it. That's going to be it next time. All right. Well, hopefully uh, next time we see you guys, things will be a little bit more stable on the uh, future of the Republic. We're <laughs> grateful to you guys for listening. We hope that you will check out uh, our, our uh, writing over at Deadspin. Give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. And hey, if you like the podcast, uh, we would ask you to please, please go over to Apple Podcasts, click subscribe and give us a rating. We're still trying to counteract all the one star ratings we got before the podcast even came out. Thank you, (laughs) men. We'll see you next week here on The Ladies Room.